StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society. From Detroit's public radio station, WDET, this is StoryCorps Detroit. We take interviews of Detroiters by Detroiters and share them with you. I'm Sasha Ryan. Here with me today is StoryCorps Detroit producer, Laura Herberg. Hey, Laura. Hi, Sasha. So July 23rd marked the 50th anniversary of the beginning of the civil disturbances in Detroit. It lasted five days and led to 43 deaths, more than 300 injuries, and over 1,000 buildings burned. In last week's episode, we heard a summary of what happened from young Detroit students, as well as two firsthand accounts from people who were adolescents back in 1967. And a correction, we said that one of them, Marsha Music, was 12 at the time, but she was actually 13. Today, we have an oral history from a man who was 14 back in 67. Laura, can you set up that interview? Yeah, so Bill Williams sat down for an interview with his friend, Cindy Munoz. Though the pair actually met later in life as adults, they were both living in Detroit back in 1967. Cindy, who identifies herself as Polish and Mexican-American, was 11 at the time and living on the west side of the city, fairly removed from the destruction. Bill, on the other hand, who is African-American, lived not far from the intersection where the violence began. With Cindy's prompting, he shared his detailed account. Bill, one thing I want to ask you is that when we were talking about this the other day, you became very emotional. And even today, coming down here, you seem very emotional. Why do you feel so emotional talking about this? You know, for years, uh, it was always like, oh, yeah, I remember the riots. Yeah, I remember the riots. But I never had to reconnect get in touch again with my feelings of the riots, my my family sacrificing to, to get where they did, and then having so much of the destruction ruin their dream. Mm. When we first moved to this neighborhood, it was... Um, it was a big move up for us. This was a, a really nice neighborhood. It was diverse, professional. It was something that, that my, my grandparents had dreamed of. Mm. On the corner from our home, there was a, a small dry cleaners and a bike shop and a little pharmacy, a photographer's studio, and a small grocery store. So we could walk to the corner and do any... T- that we needed. If we went south beyond Claremont, 12th Street was just filled with restaurants and markets and and pawn shops and stores and shops. It was like being in New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really a great place to be. So the morning of the riot, we were preparing to go to church as we normally would. And my granddad was talking about some type of disruption out in the neighborhood. So my cousins and I, we ran to the corner just to see what we could see. And as we looked south towards Claremont and further down 12th Street, we could see just chaos and rubble, debris in the street, some smoke. But um, it looked like something from a movie, something that I look at now that looks like Beirut or a third world country. 
So we wondered, is it going to strike our, our little corner there? And it did. Later, um, one of the building's stores caught fire. And then the next building. Where were the firefighters? When someone in the neighborhood called the fire department to come and put the fire out, they had been given a response that, you know, we'll get a fire rig over there, but, uh, you know, the firemen have had people throwing things at them and shooting shooting at them. So they were hesitant to come in and really put the fire out. Some neighbors in the community, my my uncle, I know a couple of the men across the street and so forth, guaranteed the city or the fire department that they would protect the firemen should they come and put the fire out. So when the fire trucks eventually did arrive, you could see neighbors with um, really rifles and shotguns standing on on the street. I can't even believe it was uh, it was it was surreal. There was a home next to our home, and that home actually had started to to burn a little mm-hmm. bit. We carried furniture out on the onto the street, and we set it on the lawn. Fortunately, our house didn't catch fire, so we carried the furniture back in mm-hmm. uh, before nightfall. It wasn't the next day; it was a couple of days after that that National Guard were stationed right on the corner with with a, a jeep and four guardsmen and um, they had a what I know now to be a uh, automatic weapon mounted on, mm-hmm. on on the jeep wow my cousins and I we would walk down to the corner uh, out of curiosity like boys wanting to see <laughs> real soldiers army men so we would walk down there and uh, we we talked to them and they were they're really Friendly, you know, you, you could tell that they were a little anxious, but but they were friendly, and so my my grandma would have me bring them, us bring them pops, and you know they were really That's appreciative. Nice. And yeah. d- during the night, you could hear the armored vehicles roll down uh, down the alleys, and you can see their spotlights. But so as a kid, we're at the window. And we're just we're just peeking out a little bit, you know. We don't want to. We don't know what they're gonna do. You know, are we a sniper? No, you know. But mm-hmm. we could see the the armored vehicles roll down, and you could hear rifle fire and the staccato fire of automatic weapons and and large weapons. Was that the military? Then? This is the military firing very large mm-hmm. weapons. And during the following day, the following days, we would walk the neighborhood just to see what we could see, and you would see what is now large caliber bullet holes that actually penetrated brick homes. So after a while, instead of it being uh, exciting, it kind of wore on you, and you became a little bit nervous because uh, you wanted the shooting to eventually stop, and you wanted to be able to walk and go see your friends and and just get back to your normal life. So what do you think is the legacy of the riots? I remember uh, knowing this phrase as a child, and and you've heard me use it, that blacks, Negroes would use that we haven't made it until we've all made it. And it seems like fewer of us make it now. 
from the riots, there was great hope that there would be reconstruction of those areas that were destroyed and things would really improve for the residents. But I just this week drove over to that house that we used Mm -hmm. to live in and that corner is still bare. Mm -hmm. The building where the riots uh, originated is gone and there's a, a park there But for miles and for years, nothing was done. Right now, the the city is is resurging. There's a lot of money being put in the city. The downtown area is booming. And I understand that that is the hub of a city. I have great hope that the spokes of that hub will reap some of the benefits of what's going on. It hasn't in 50 years, but I, I still have hope. Mm. That was Bill Williams. He spoke to his friend Cindy Munoz about his memories living through the destruction of 1967 in Detroit. Their interview was recorded by StoryCorps at the Detroit Institute of Arts. So interesting when we hear these stories of 67 and even across the country of riots or rebellions we hear a lot about white flight that followed and business loss and the economic impact on the community but we really don't hear very much about the loss of black prosperity and black businesses it's always interesting to hear that element yeah um that's part of the reason why when I was putting this piece together, I wanted to make sure to include the part where he talks about his neighborhood and how it had really meant something that his family had been able to move over there. And for Bill, that was one of the biggest things they lost. I mean, could you imagine his whole family saved up to buy that house? And then it was shortly thereafter that right in their neighborhood, the violence and destruction happened there. And surely their family was not alone in that. Mm. Laura, before the piece, you mentioned that Cindy Munoz identifies as a Polish and Mexican-American woman, and that Bill Williams is an African-American man. They didn't discuss race. Why was that important to include? You can't think about what happened in Detroit in 67 without thinking about race. And I think sometimes with audio you are stripped of race. You just hear people's voices. But I knew from the rest of their interview and from speaking with them on the phone before this, before we put this podcast together, I know how they identify themselves. And to me, that did add context to their conversation. So I just wanted to make sure that our listeners had that same information. I think that it does change the way that you listen to the interview slightly. I think that's true. Thank you so much for sharing this story with us, Laura Herberg. Of course. Thank you, Sasha. I'm Sasha Ryan, and that's it for this episode of StoryCorps Detroit. Thanks for joining us. We'll have more next week. This podcast is a production of WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This episode was produced by Laura Herberg. Our music is by Will Sessions. If you want to make sure that you hear the next episode, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
There you can also leave a review, which helps people find us. For more information about StoryCorps' visit to Detroit, go to wdet.org slash StoryCorps with Core spelled C-O-R-P-S. StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society. 